Welcome to the Union Federation podcast here on the Fandom Podcast Network. And this week we are discussing Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 4, No Win Scenario. And uh, before we go any further, I have a spoiler alert. That's right. Please make sure you see the episode, then come back here and continue watching. Well, with me, as always, I have to introduce uh, my crew. I'm the captain here of the Union Federation Starship this week. And as always, our uh, security and weapons officer and also checking special containers of goo to make sure there are no changelings around. Mr. Kyle Wagner. What's up, buddy? I'm just a simple snow monkey from Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome aboard, sir. It is very good to be back on the Union Federation Starship, but Kevin, um, you got some goo behind you. Just keep an eye on it. I'm just saying they might, you know, might be dangling from your ear, you know, it's hair gel. Shut up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And back with us as always the Oracle and the expert science officer, Haley Stoddard. What's up? Hello. Hello. Yes. Uh, super excited. And, uh, gee, I think I might've been right again. I'm gonna give her. I'm gonna give her half credit. She was right. It was a life. There's a life form involved. <laughs> Gotta make sure I don't squish that Picard figure there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, when, that would be did, bad. When did it go? When did it go, Kevin? I mean, when did the top go? I mean, right? the hair, the hair, the top, the hair. When does oh, it go? Oh, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, I still got mine, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. All right, uh, Amy Nelson, our first officer and counselor, cannot be with us this week. She's doing. The, heavy BQN duties over there. So uh, she'll be back, of course, uh, you know, having fun. But of course, this is the Union Federation podcast here on the Fandom Podcast Network. And we are discussing Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 4, No Win Scenario. And as we mentioned, spoiler alerts, if you have not seen this, please, please go watch this because this episode was awesome. So I thought that, uh, why don't we just go ahead and get right into it, and if you can go ahead and read the Admiral's Log synopsis for us, Haley, that would be awesome. Of course. Vatic, revealed to be a changeling, contacts her superior, who tells her to pursue the Titan at all costs, leading her to dumping the unwieldy portal technology. The Titan is too damaged to run both propulsion and life support, Life support, far more than a few hours. For more than a few hours, golly. Riker admits Picard was right and suggests that he spend his last moments bonding with Jack. In the holodeck, Picard and Jack tell each other some of their adventures, but are joined by Shaw, who bitterly recounts his experiences as an engineer during Starfleet's battle with Locutus. Riker orders Seven to keep searching for the changeling imposter. She gets Shaw's help. The anomaly begins discharging energy pulses. Beverly monitors the timing and conjectures that the anomaly is actually a space creature about to give birth. Riker, Beverly, and Picard form a high-risk plan to harness an energy pulse and recharge the ship's systems. With Shaw and Seven's help, including Seven's identification and killing of the changeling imposter, the plan succeeds. The Titan uses its tractor beam to fling an asteroid and damage the Shrike significantly on their way out of the nebula among newborn jellyfish-like space creatures. Space babies! (laughs) (laughs) Space babies. Indeed. (laughs) 
All right, guys, I want to get your first reactions to this episode. Kyle, let's start with you, sir. Absolutely love this episode. And there was Picard, this season, Picard, every episode just kind of sets the bar that much higher. And this episode, for so many different reasons, just was phenomenal. The storyline that they're going with, everything with the changelings, tying it into the Dominion, going, giving us that mystery of what's going on. The just amazing performances by everybody in this episode. Nobody put in a bad performance in this episode. This was phenomenal acting. This, this episode was an acting class, truthfully. And, of course, I would be remiss, too, if I didn't say what an outstanding job directing this episode by Jonathan Franks, who is on a masterpiece role right now. And finally, just Amanda Plummer. Um, hopefully this is not the last we see of her because I need, I need more Amanda Plummer in my Star Trek. She's basically a big pile of goo. She's not dead yet. <laughs> we'll get into that more later. Haley, your first impressions on No Win Scenario. Uh, I really enjoyed this. You know, I, I was in for it with the ride of, are they going to get out? Is everything going to be okay? And from beginning to end, it was really well thought out and really well put together. And Surprisingly, I'm kind of not glad that we didn't break off and go to Worf and Raffi. I really liked that we stayed on the Titan and and figured this story out and kind of had the story just wrap around the ship because it was so well done that if there had been a break, it would have really cut it in half and really just junctured it too much. It's a good point. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I love this episode. This nothing... Nothing has been a big bummer at all about this season. And uh, it, it's, it seems like there's a lot of cohesion here with the writing and the, gosh, the acting as well. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of callbacks, uh, a lot of connective tissue with uh, all these characters past. And I love how we're just getting these little nuggets here and there that's kind of filling in the space that's been between our favorite characters from Next Gen from the previous film and maybe mentions from other shows or what have you. And uh, I, it's, it's, it's almost in a way kind of a masterclass on really how to honor the past, in my opinion, of what they're doing this year. And Terry Metalis, the showrunner gets it. Uh, he's been part of the Trek, the Trek family for a while. And I think that with him and his other fellow writers are doing a wonderful job here. And what I like about this, too, is that we're getting um, an older cast that hasn't lost a step at all. It's been amazing. Uh, a couple of things that I did want to mention. Uh, I, I love the Rezigu term. I, thought, I just thought that was kind of funny. And we got a little uh, Odo shout out, too. If you saw the pad, you saw a picture of him. Uh, and guys, Vatic, uh, changeling. Yep. <laughs> uh, I, I got to say something kind of funny, though, guys. I don't know if this happened to you. So. I, when I was getting ready to watch the episode, I turned on um, Paramount Plus and went to like the homepage, basically. And they have like four or five shows that are kind of highlighted and they'll show like, you know, 20 second clip and then rotate to the next one. And I'm sitting there getting my stuff. Like, I think I had a, a lunch or something. I was getting ready to watch Picard. And all of a sudden, Vatic's like cutting her wrist open and gooey stuff's kind of like, no, don't die. You're spoiling this. Cause I don't know if that's like this, the end of the episode or not. So uh, did that happen to you guys at all? No, yeah. it didn't happen to me. I didn't get it, but I get, my Oh my God. I was just like, and then, you know, then we got it like maybe 10 minutes in, but I'm going like, I'm, but I'm going into the episode going, 
Vadix goo, Vadix goo. <laughs> I, I, they, 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 I turned it out. I the scene that they when cut that off. So the, they only showed enough to where you see her like cutting off her wrist, and then you're starting to see the form of it, and then it stops right there. And so it was kind of a spoiler. I'm like, well, I know they got to showcase something with uh, Star Trek Picard, but they should at least shown the last episode. I don't know, Kyle. Um, I, I want to bring up a point because you and I just did a culture clash live where we were talking about the Mandalorian and we were talking about him going with the flow, riding the wave to handle the black saber. I think he really could use the uh, Mandalorian could watch this episode of Picard and really understand about riding the wave. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So Kyle, I have a, a question for you, Kyle. Are we mm-hmm. PG 13 on this network? Um, disclaimer. The following segment might contain strong vocabulary. If you have young children in the car, you might want to tune out for the next couple of minutes and return to this wonderful episode of Family Friendly Union Federation. <laughs> That's what I love about you, Kyle, because you get where I'm going with this, because in all PG-13 <laughs> movies, they're allowed at least one F-bomb. And I'm going to say it right now. Picard says, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of curious about this, because it wasn't the first time we've heard the F-word. Uh, we've heard it in Discovery. Tilly a couple I, of times. Yeah, uh, but I did uh, find an article on CBR.com of why Picard drops the F-bomb. And Picard showrunner Terry Metallison says fans of the series should should feel chills after seeing the show's uh, Taylor Captain getting heated like never before. Speaking to Collider, Metallus addressed the surprising unscripted F-bomb. Unscripted. Leveled at Captain Picard during season two or season three, episode four, No One Scenario Picard which got Star Trek viewers buzzing. According to Metallus, the idea of having Picard swear during the episode came from Patrick Stewart himself, who's been synonymous with the character since the next generation. Quote, that moment actually wasn't scripted that way. Jonathan, Ed Spielers, and Patrick had created this incredibly intimate moment between father and son they were rehearsing, and what they had crafted was so genuine and so intense that came out in the moment. Patrick said... Said it and felt it. It was real a couple of times, he said. No one scenario, Vatic, Amanda Plummer, and her accompanying changeling corner Picard and the Titan crew, leading the retired Admiral, Admirals and his cohorts to free fall into the gravity well. The emotionless, the emotion, emotional episode seeing Picard confronted with the real possibility of losing his son soon after finding him, chronicling emotionally charged moments involving the retired Admiral and William Riker with Picard letting the F word go to re- release his pent up frustration. Guys, uh, did it, at first it didn't really mean a lot to me until I started thinking about it. What do you think, Haley? And you can't say the F word because I already said it once. Oh, no, you're, um, <laughs> if anyone swears on this thing, it's me and it's usually other ones. I don't drop that one. Um, no, you know, I, I think it glazed over me. Like it just, it was so natural in the conversation that it really didn't bother me. And also knowing that Patrick Stewart's a British actor, um, they swear a lot on their television. It doesn't phase them. Like it's not such a big deal. Uh, here in America, we're the ones that make it seem like it's like, Oh my God. And it, you know, and then we are the ones who freak out about it, but who doesn't in the heat of a moment, uh, when your emotions are high, swear. 
And they've actually done research. So I'm going to throw some science at you people right now. Uh, They've actually done research. People who are highly intelligent tend to swear more. Um, It is not that, you know, topic of, oh, well, you should just use a better word like your parents tell you to kind of situation. Sometimes really that is what you need to use. And it's also a way to release some tension. Um, So it it is a tension reduction type thing to swear in a moment if that is what it calls for. Uh, I dropped the F-bomb multiple times, uh, sometimes a lot in the span of a couple of minutes when I'm driving because people piss me off. Um, So it, it really is not surprising to me that Patrick Roots would say that in a moment, that Picard would say that. I mean, heck, he swore in TNG when he said, Merde. you know, come on, really? You know what, Kyle, if, uh, if I was uh, having a swear jar in my car, I could probably afford a trip to Australia first class. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, uh, the F word here? <laughs> what are my thoughts on the, on the, the well, beep, 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 But in all seriousness, I agree with what Haley said. It was kind of it's kind of one of those delayed reaction things because it does flow so natural in the moment and in the conversation. It just made sense. And then like a couple minutes later, like, whoa, wait a minute. Why did he just say what I think he said? But again, it's Patrick Stewart in full top of his gear mode. And like I said, it fits because you are talking about a Picard right now who is trying to get some kind of connection with his son and what he believes to still possibly be his final moments of existence. And so emotions are running high. It's an, it's an older Picard. It's a changed Picard. Let's not forget. This is a very much a changed Picard after what he went through in season two. So he's, he's a little more open with his emotions than what Picard used to, used to be. So it, it fits and it shows more evolution of the character. And I just, I just think it fits in the moment and if you're gonna have any character in the show say that have it be picard it's just perfect because it's the least it's the character you least expect it from good point i it kind of just felt you know when you don't force the curse it feels natural it's not like when you're a young kid teenager and you're experimenting with curse words for the first time and with your friends and you're just overusing it all the time uh, this just felt like natural because I was feeling the tension. I, I thought it was great. So, uh, A couple of little things I want to mention, too, I want to give a shout out to is uh, I love the mention to uh, when he's when the I guess the cadets are asking Picard about the moment with the Herogen and the trap that Worf set for him and the throw out to Admiral Janeway. It's nice to know the Herogen are still out there. Not scary at all. <laughs> the hunter species. I also love the shout out to Shaka when the walls fell that previous episode. I thought that was really good. And one thing I wanted to mention too, was this particular episode and a lot of moments in the last episode too. uh, There's a, I'm not going to call these this term, but there's a term in television called bottle episodes where they might have to save money and not do any location shooting. So they're just going to stay on all the sets that are already built and have the moment around that and have some good writing and moments uh, between the characters. And that's what I'm getting from this episode and the previous episode. Maybe, you know, there might be on another set or you see Vatic on the set of her ship or whatever, but this just felt like a really fantastic bottle type episode. That's written really, really well because the fantastic sets that they have for the Titan and they're able to do all of these things. I mean, it's enormous, this particular set, and they've touched about it. But I just want to give a shout out to when you can do that really well on a ship 
because it kind of, you know, you, you feel this claustrophobic thing that's going on with the situation that they're in. Kind of like when, like what I'm seeing with this particular episode is those old submarine movies where there's something wrong. The submarine sinks down to the bottom of the floor and they're trying to figure out how to get it going again or something like that. Um, and then you have this wonderful moments of, of tense um, uh, stuff that's going around and, you know, things going in between the characters. So I, I thought that was really, really cool. Kyle. Can I interrupt with something? Because I just got a very p- interesting piece of news that is Star Trek Picard related. Is this is this like, you know, boop, 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 boop type of thing? Kind of. Um, it, apparently it was announced a, a few hours ago. Michael Dorn is going to write a comic book for DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of comic? Do you know? Are you familiar, Kevin, at all with the character of Steel? John Henry Irons. He was a Superman he kind of when Superman died, he was one of the four guys that tried to replace Superman. Had to. Oh no, I don't know this. No, no. Um, very popular character in the DC universe. He's get, DC's kind of going through a whole relaunch right now, and it's just it's been announced. Michael Dorn is going to be the writer for the Steel. What's going to be called Steelworks, and he's going to be one be the main writer for the book at the, at its inception. That's really cool. Good for him. That's nice. So, right. I know it's a little off topic, but it's considering it's <laughs> Michael Dorn, it, it it fits in. And I just thought no, it was kind of cool. That's great. Well, guys, I say it's time to get into our first away mission. Let's go ahead and head down to our planet of Ilrapoot. All right, guys. Uh, first of all, I just want to mention that, uh, as as you had talked about as well, Kyle, um, that Jonathan Frakes here is killing it. He's in front of the camera. He's behind the camera. And I want to give a shout out to him this uh, first uh, topic here. Uh, he is He's always been really good as, as, as an actor. And we've seen some of his really good moments in um, uh, Next Generation and in the movies. And uh, it's funny, too, because he's also part of a, the, I don't know if you guys remember the TNG um, uh, drinking game, wherever, like, Will cursed you know, maybe said, damn it, or something like that. Or he used his leg, because he's very tall, he used his leg to throw over a chair before he sat down on it, you know. Uh, <laughs> I just want to touch on some things here that were really good. Uh, and I want to give uh, Jonathan Frakes uh, some prop and props and also have a little bit of a Riker discussion here. And uh, I just want to say, I love the fact that we got the, uh, uh, the Riker gives Picard the con and he says, engage. I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, also, to... Um, the asteroid toss. Uh, Beverly says, Will, did you just throw an asteroid? And Riker says, Goddamn right I did. Drink. <laughs> but one of the most moving moments, and I teared up when I watched this, is when um, Riker was talking to Troy at the end via video, however you want to say it. Riker says, We witnessed a kind of birth here. And it reminded me that there's a whole new universe out there. And it can be beautiful and it can be amazing. And Troy says, you haven't said anything as lovely as that in a long time. Riker replies, I know. And that's on me. And I'm sorry. And I'm going to fix it with you. (laughs) Ah, Guys, let's give some love to Frakes and Riker. Uh, Haley, I want to start with you here. Uh, Yeah, and uh, I'm pretty sure I think I've mentioned this to you, the reason why he actually would sit on the chair like that. Don't don't you know the actual reason? 
No, what's the real reason? Uh, so when they first started filming, uh, the uniforms, they were just like a one piece and it actually gave, uh, Frakes and some of the other male cast members, cause they were kind of like a one size, um, some back problems. And so it was easier for him to swing his leg over the chair to sit down because it wouldn't make his back hurt. Interesting. I would have guessed another reason, but that makes sense. That's cool. Yeah. And then it kind of <laughs> stuck. So, you know, um, but yeah, those first couple of seasons, the, the one piece uniform thing, it just didn't, didn't do well for his back, but no, I have, I've always liked, um, Riker, uh, his character has always been such a fun one to watch and always so interesting, um, from the moment uh, that he comes on and, you know, doesn't want to take it. Captain C and then Captain Riker's kind of a jerk. Um, but I really <laughs> loved this episode because they really kind of, we're seeing this evolution for Picard in, in finding out that he has a son and uh, his relationships with Beverly and with Jack. But at the same time, we're really kind of seeing this evolution for Riker. Um at the beginning when he talks about how, you know, he's, he's talking that he's with Picard for a reason. And it's because he's still trying to find something that isn't there. Um, you know, and he talks about, you know, when his son was buried and, and it's just empty. And he talks about, you know, there's no hereafter. This is it, you know, and he tells, you know, Picard, this is the end, my friend. And, and I thought that was so beautiful because uh, I can relate to that. And I know a lot of other people can relate to that, you know, depending on what you believe, is there this hereafter? And, you know, his discussion of I've never found anything, there's nothing, there's just nothing. But I'm still out here because of that, because he wants a part of him wants to find if there is still something to this hereafter that he will see his son again. And I thought that was so beautiful. Um and really poignant because he also then talks about how he's felt nothing and that's been the effect on his relationship with Deanna because she feels everything, um, not just as a mother, but as a betazoid and as a woman, she feels everything. And um, it really got me thinking of this, you know, you can't run from feeling nothing because there's not going to find, you're not going to find anything because there is nothing and running from nothing doesn't guarantee that you will find something. So there's, you know, no guarantee for Riker at this point in the episode anyway, that he's going to find the thing that he's looking for. Um, because you might not find it cause it might not exist or, you know, the exact thing that you're looking for, you're not going to find. And so I love that in juxtaposition with the end of the episode when he is talking with Deanna and he, you know, they've, they've come out of this nebula and they've come out of this gravity well. And it's not that he found exactly what he was looking for, but he found something that gives him that hope again, which has been Star Trek all along is that hope of a better future and of something more and of something out there. And I thought that that was really, really um, just really beautiful and quite a nice contrast from beginning to end, at least for Riker. Cause I know we're talking so much about Picard, but I thought that was really beautiful. That's nice. Kyle, what about you? Uh, Frakes has been phenomenal, obviously behind the camera for a long time, movies as well, but man, in front of the camera, he is just chewing it up with some great moments and great scenes. Well, first of all, since we have the Oracle here and, you know, you've made some predictions, I think I was the one who on last week's episode mentioned that there's more going on with Riker than what 
this episode was telling us. And we get into that in this episode. And I think using the parallel of, I, I love the whole monologue he gives where he's talking about how that six foot, his, that has felt infinite, kind of like, are you talking about the six foot grave that he had to put yeah, his the son six foot in? grave his yeah. his, child, his son was buried in and how that felt just as dark and infinite as deep space did and you know we see it where here's a parent who has lost a child and has still not properly dealt with it and processed all the emotions and it took him having his own near death experience and his responsibilities as captain to get him to realize some things and i think that was a very powerful thing as for Frakes himself, it is time. And it's time for Jonathan Frakes to get to double duty recognition. He needs to be recognized by the Emmys, not only for directing, but for supporting actor or in a, in a series for, for his work as well as William Riker and his directing he's done on Picard for this season, because it has been absolutely phenomenal. And right now he's stolen the spotlight. Um, when Picard is done, I'm all, I'm down for Star Trek Riker. I'm just, I'm saying that right now. <laughs> That would definitely be fun. Yeah, I, th- he is so much fun to watch on screen. And I just, I love the, uh, I, I liked how in the ready room last week, uh, Frakes said that, you know, he likes that there is confrontation between these characters that makes them more interesting. And, you know, where it had ended last episode, you know, Picard's cooling off in, in his room and Riker comes in and the first thing Picard wants to do is apologize Riker's like, look, you know, we don't have time for this. I need to tell you what's going on. And it's such a heavy scene when he's talking about the death of his son and telling Picard, you only got a, you only got a few moments with the son. You just found out you had, you need to make the best of it. Just a very, very strong moment. And then, like I said, I love the scene when, uh, you know, he lets uh, Picard get back on there and yell, engage again. I love that. I thought that was really, really cool. <laughs> Hey, Kevin, question for both of you, because I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about this since I watched the episode and I just got to watch this a few hours ago. But are, has 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 Jonathan Frakes and William Riker finally got to that point where when he comes on screen now, he has just as much gravitas as Jean-Luc Picard and Patrick Stewart have? I mean, I mean, Riker was always growing and developing with Next Generation, and even in the films, he still felt kind of like you know he was a little he was underneath Picard. He was he was still Riker, but he was still underneath Picard, and he he finally, in a way, feels like he's at that same level now. Riker's at that same level as Picard, and Jonathan Frakes feels like just as he's grown as an actor and what he's we've seen from him here, he can stand right there now with Patrick Stewart, scene for scene too. Too, I I, I, I it just feels like they're on that level of equals now compared to when you go back and rewatch some of those episodes episodes of TNG. What do you think, Haley? I got thoughts. Um, I would say so. Um, just because I, I mean, growth is growth. Um, whether it's, you know, your career, the characters growth, the characters change. Um, I think he's still, I think, like they talked about in the ready room, there's that big brother, little brother. And I think it goes back and forth. And so sometimes I think Riker's the big brother. And I think that definitely lends to that, like, Hey, I've got the wisdom. I have the knowledge type thing. And then sometimes they're very much 
on equal footing. And then sometimes Picard is still kind of the big brother. Um, and so I think it's a very fluid relationship as far as the characters go. Um, as far as the actors go, I think, I think Frakes is really a wonderful actor. And then, you know, I think his directing is just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you can definitely tell when he's directed an episode. And so I, I think that has put him just on a different level. Um, just because I don't think that, uh, necessarily one is better than the other, but I think Riker, Jonathan Frakes has that experience of directing like a lot. Um, and also he's just, he's a wonderful, wonderful person. If you ever get to encounter him and have conversations with him, he is just pure joy. Like seriously, he's so nice. He is. He's really cool. And he's really funny too. Yeah. Uh, re re regarding your question, Kyle, um, I think, yeah, because We've seen his growth throughout uh, Next Gen and the movies, and definitely now for Picard. And it's interesting, too, because his character in Next Gen had the opportunity to become a peer, another captain, but would have to leave the Enterprise. And he chose not to a few times. And some people are saying that it was holding him back, but I think he, he knew where he wanted to be at the time. And, uh, of course, the writing wants to keep uh, Riker on board as well. But I, I think that he realized how important the, uh, you know, the mission on the Enterprise-E at the time, how important that was going to be. And specifically also between him and, um, uh, you know, Troy, especially when they went to the, to the E as well. But I think the fact that now that he has the Titan and, you know, there's been books about it and stuff like that. I think that um, his own legacy is is almost important, uh, if not. And sort of, too, we've seen Picard very vulnerable these seasons. Uh, and, you know, he's not he's you know, he's moving a little bit slower. Of course, he's an older man. Uh, he had to become a robot, <laughs> you know, uh, but I you know, and, and I think that's nice because it's nice to see the change in Picard as well that, uh, you know, he's not who he used to be, but he's still someone of importance. And there's still that respect between these two guys because they're very good friends. And as you mentioned, Haley, there's one has, uh, one's the big brother and little brother and it switches off, you know, but I think in the current situation and current time, it's, uh, captain, uh, Riker right now that does have a little bit more pull because he's the active one right now. You know, at least it seems like that to a certain degree. So, uh, all right, guys, let's go ahead and get into the next topic here. All right, I want to talk about Jack and Picard slash that moment in the uh, 10 forward hollow bar holodeck. <laughs> uh, I wanted you guys to first of all talk about the moments between Jack and Picard because this is something that needed, needed to happen. And, uh, you know, right after the discussion with uh, Riker, um, Picard realizes he doesn't have a lot of time, apparently, because um, they're getting ready to die and everything seems hopeless. So he goes to Beverly and says, you know, can I have a, a few moments with Jack? And Jack's kind enough to say, OK, I'll do this. And they have a, you know, they have a moment together and a little funny moment about the hair and stuff like that. And and, uh, you know, why Jack didn't search him out and we find out a little bit more about that later. Then we get the interruption by Shaw, um, kind of interrupting that nice little moment, and he starts to recount his own experiences 
at the hand of Locutus of Borg during the Battle of Wolf 359. Uh, Kyle, let's start with you. So as far as the scene between Jack and Picard and on the 10 forward, I think that was great. I, I loved how he's like, I'm not really a wine person. Oh, and Picard figures out real quick. Oh, whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm having a minor problem, guys. And I'm going to ask you if you agree with me. Ed's, Ed looks so young that I almost feel like Picard is almost grandfather than dad. And I look at Riker and Riker is more like, feels like more like dad than Picard does. And I, I, it's not taking me out of the moment because those two play off of each other so incredibly well. But there's times when it's just like, is he really? <laughs> and again, it's just more of just aging between them, between them. But the moments are so spectacular and so touching. And I, I love the fact that Picard admitted it. He's like, Jack's like, I really don't need this. And Picard's like, yeah, but I do. And we would have never ever gotten that from Picard during Next Generation. It just wouldn't have happened. And again, it's showing the growth of Picard. But come on, Shaw's speech and how it's delivered is phenomenal and a tour de force. And I can just imagine everybody on set was transfixed on him when he was giving that speech because you could feel the emotion, not only and not only just in his words, but how he expressed it on his face as well. It was great physical and character acting, and it was just Absolutely breathtaking. Haley, your thoughts on Jack and Picard and a little interruption by Shaw later. Yeah. Um, and this is so hard to talk about without bringing up the other thing at the end. Um, no, I, I think this was wonderful. And like Kyle pointed out, I don't think our former Picard would have admitted that he needed to have um, that connection with Jack. Um, and I really liked that, you know, they were able to do this and it was awkward, uh, because it would be. And, um, I, I can relate to that, um, simply just because of my own personal experience of, uh, for listeners, I'll let you know, if you don't already know, I'm adopted and I only recently, just this last year, found and was able to make some connections with some of my, my of my biological family. And it's almost like a first date type of situation where you're trying to fill each other out and you're wanting to get to know them and you're wanting them to get to know you. And you don't quite know what, like where to start. So you start with like the weird stuff. Well, what's your favorite color? And what do you like to do? And and like you try to ask like uh, what have you done with your life and things like that? And so this conversation between the two of them was extremely relatable. Um, to answer your question, Kyle, I don't think necessarily, I don't look at it as like that age difference because that, you know, Picard wouldn't be dad because A, it was, you know, 20 years ago, right? Um, at least, if not like a couple years difference there. But also, like, uh, you know, we look at this, people live longer in Star Trek. And, you know, I look at it as this book series that I read, people live longer in this book series, and people can age if they so choose, but then they can also age to a certain point and then stop aging. So, like, 
I look at it that way where, you know, some people might seem like they, they're like, okay, I'll look a little bit older. Um, so that I'm not like 120 and I look like I'm 40 cause that would be dumb. Um, and so I don't think necessarily of, of that age being a factor, it was really more about, as Picard says, connection, you know, and when the crew members from the Titan walk in and they're like, oh, sorry, and and Picard's like, no, come in, it's okay. Um, going back to that, you know, when he talks about, I love when he talked about, Jack was like, well, why are we in here? Isn't this draining our power? Why are we going to do this? And this explanation of no, the holodeck runs on its own little power source. It's not going to take from anything. It's not going to use much. And the reasoning behind that, so that in times of stress and distress, the crew have a place that they can release some of that tension because you can't think clearly and make great judgment calls if you're flooded with those emotions of being stressed and irritated and frustrated and angry and everything else. And so I really love that. And <clears throat> I, I wished that it could have been more than it was. And I get why it wasn't because of what we get at the end of the episode. Um, but I really wanted them to have more. Jack still has this chip on his shoulder. And again, I can see why later on, um, why he has that. Uh, Shaw's speech was really wonderful, uh, really incredible. He has so much guilt about being chosen to be on that shuttle. And rather than turn and be angry with himself, which in some ways, uh, some people do turn that anger onto themselves. Usually they turn that anger of their guilt that they don't want to deal with to somebody else. And he has been harboring lots of anger towards Picard, which is understandable. A lot of people did after Wolf 359. And it's just really interesting. I really hope that he kind of can process that and move toward like forward from that and and have some character growth because a little bit of his chip of his shoulder will go away afterwards. And I think my favorite thing was all of the crew when Picard leaves and Jack tries to stop Shaw being like, hey, stop it. Like, stop being such a douche. Um, and Picard's like, no, it's okay. And then he leaves and the crew, the look that they give Shaw was just like, I don't know if they knew what Wolf 359 was like beforehand. I feel like that's like Starfleet history. So everyone should know that. But also they were all like, whoa, dude, seriously, like you kind of crossed the line there. You know, uh, hold on a sec, Kyle. I want to respond to the Shaw thing first because that, and since you just ended with it, is I thought it was amazing because he's giving that heartbreaking, um, but kind of accusatory, uh, yeah. you know, speech there. And the man that is responsible for his pain is right in front of him. Picard's just taken it. Mm -hmm. And then, as you mentioned, when Picard says, no, let's, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he's, you know, it says it in his face. He says, no, Jack, I'm going to let him have this moment. I'm going to let, I'm going to let him pile into me like this, you know, cause a lot of people would, would, would like to do that, uh, to a certain degree. And, but I like the moment though, when everyone's looking at Shaw and Shaw's realizing they're all looking at him and he goes, forgive me. 
at some point, asshole became a substitute for charm. What a line. <laughs> Just saying. I got to give it up for Todd Stashwick. I am, I am really loving his character here. Um, give him his own show, damn it. That'd be great. I don't know. I, I'd be up for that. So, but uh, Kyle, you wanted to mention something? I just wanted to wa- mention what Kaylee was talking about with, with Sean, how everybody was giving him the look. But none of them were there, and none of them lived through that moment mm-hmm. either. And I think whether you agree with Sean or not, he's justified to be able to express those feelings. And I think I think it's just as important for him to get that out. And out of things he's probably been keeping in for so long, and he has this opportunity to. I don't even think he's necessarily doing it to be cool. It's just it's it built up, and this opportunity came to explode out, and it happened. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I actually think that's probably a good thing for Shaw to to finally be able to get that release out of that situation at the person who he blames to be directly responsible for it. And I I, I love the fact that you, as he's talking about it, and mentions Locutus. And I love the fact he mentions he was such an efficient killer. They gave him his own name. And I, I, that was that to me, that was the moment you're like, Oh, that, 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 that was the button. And I think that's what got Picard going too, is what, why he just kind of backed off and out of the arc, because I think it really hit pretty close to home too, because we know how much Lacutus haunts him. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Well said. Uh, Yeah. Haley. So, are we going to talk about the the moment between Picard or are we holding that for later? Because I feel like it really fits in this. <laughs> Which moment are you talking about? On the bridge uh, after they get out of the nebula, the look uh, and the realization that happens on Picard's face. Oh, that he had met his son prior. Yeah. yeah let's let's touch on that okay. here because that was a big deal. Because I, let me just before you, we go into yeah, that, though, no. is that um, I want to set it up because... What I like about that scene at the end is that he's watching this whole crew work together and he sees the camaraderie. At least that's what I'm seeing on his face because he's looking around and then, you know, he's looking at his dad and then we get that flashback to when, you know, five years ago, Picard is uh, telling the story to uh, the cadets and such and He's over there with the baseball cap. And if you watch any Marvel film, whenever you want to be low key and not be seen by any uh, people that are trying to find you, all you have to do is put on sunglasses and a cap and you're good to go. Works every Um, time. Every time. And so I thought that was kind of funny, but he, you know, Picard had asked in this episode, why didn't you want to come find me? And we find out he did. But after Picard says, I found out the only family I really need is Starfleet. Um, Jack got a little hurt by that and decided to move along. But uh, yeah, Haley, what are your thoughts on that? No, I like that kind of broke me. That was so hard uh, to realize that, you know, he had reached out. But again, Picard didn't know. Like he yeah. had no idea. You know, I, I mean, he had no knowledge. He had nothing, no inkling whatsoever that he had a kid at that point. I mean, it's 15 years and, you know, he only realizes 20 years later. And so it was so powerful and moving and really, really gut-wrenchingly hard, especially when Picard, you see it on his face when he realizes that he had met him and 
such a benign question and an interesting one at the same time that Jack asks him, like, you know, have you ever thought of anything other of having your own family, you know? And of course, at that time, Picard had never thought of it, you know, because he didn't. But it's not that he didn't want it. It's just in that moment, he didn't. And I don't know where it's going to go from there, but I really hope that seeing how Picard is with everyone and realizing that he did create a family and that he did have that family, but that that can translate to Jack. I really, really hope because it was really hard to watch. It, it hurt. Kyle, your thoughts. What a powerful scene. And it's interesting because you think about it, it's five years prior. So Jack's what at best 16, 17, if we're kind of guessing on Jack's age here. So he's at an age where he's asking that question, wanting an answer from somebody who doesn't even know who he is. And he doesn't have the the maturity to walk up and introduce himself and say, I need it. And so he, he just hears this and just assumes that Picard would just not want to have anything to do with him. And then for Picard to have that realization in that and remembering, remembering that the way he looks at Jack and the way Jack's looking back at him, it kind of gave me the impression like Jack's like, I think I know, like he's realizing something has clicked inside Picard's head. Hold on. Which scene? The present day scene or the past, the flashback? The president, the president, present day scene after Picard, you see Picard realize it. Jack was there. Jack kind of was looking back at him and it, it kind of felt like Jack was like, there was like that unsaid. Yeah. You, I think he might've just figured something out. It was kind of like that awkward moment on the statue of, or on the, um, uh, empire state building in uh, sleepless in Seattle. Like, wait a minute, I've seen you before. Were you the yeah. woman, crazy woman out in the middle of the road, almost got hit in there. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Oh, I, I, I'm sorry, sorry I thought you were done, Kyle. No, I, I just want to say I'm really look, interested to see if that's going to be the moment now that finally maybe gives a little bit of a bridge to Jack and Picard to start crossing. But it looks like we, there might be a few more roadblocks in the way, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought uh, those moments between Jack and uh, Picard were really good. And it, it was just, it was nice to see that Jack is lowering his walls a little bit um because i'm still i'm still a little puzzled why he still didn't come forward and maybe that will present itself in uh the future episodes here because there's something else that's definitely going on there but let's go ahead and hit uh the final topic here for this away mission sort of final topic uh, let's go ahead and discuss. Oh, yeah. Who we got going here? Seven and Shaw versus the Changeling. Now, I just want to toot my own horn a little bit here. I also uh, was able to predict a little bit here that moment between Sidney Forge and Seven, where uh, she appreciated what she did for her uh, crew and that uh, her father, Jordy, would have appreciated that and how he she refers to her as uh, Seven. And, uh, I love that um, after Seven shoots the changeling, uh, LaForge, Shaw says, so how did you know? And Seven goes, Ensign LaForge always called me Commander Seven out of respect. And Shaw's looking at her going, good call. 
So I want to get your guys' thoughts on this scene here because this, 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 with all this drama that's happening here between the characters and going to be dying soon, this is really cool to kind of see like there's a loose changeling on board. And I love that Seven is on the mission here. She goes to Riker, of course, mentions it to him. And they have a, you know, they're trying to put together a plan. And then she goes to Shaw because she needs Shaw's help because he knows the ship the best. And I like the fact, too, that we're kind of getting a little respect between Seven and Shaw. There's a little camaraderie going on there. You know, they kind of call each other out a little bit, which I thought was kind of cool. Haley, I want to get your thoughts on uh, this part of the episode, them working together and the dichotomy between the two. Are we really getting any respect there? <laughs> I think so. I think there's something there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe like a smidgen, a smidgen of it. Uh, and that's only because of what's talked about in the ready room. And then obviously with uh, Shaw and his uh, very upset about Wolf 359, even though at that point, I think Annika was a child still or hadn't been born yet so like she wasn't even a part of it anyway um no i really enjoyed this uh aspect of the episode i thought it was great um a little break from it was tension but it wasn't the same tension as the rest of the episode and so i really liked kind of this little minor break in the tension um Interestingly, to see uh, that Shaw knew so much about the changelings, I wouldn't have expected that at all, um, <clears throat> but that was quite interesting. I like that uh, their bucket uh, is still a thing and uh, kind of almost all the same. <laughs> I don't it's know. E like, it's either, it's it either a, a bucket or Laxwana's lap, whatever you got handy. Yeah, uh, I, I find this very interesting. There must be like a, a store on the Changeling home planet that just has these little buckets and everybody gets the same one. So um, I will say, uh, and I know we're going to put this in later, uh, but I liked the idea that the Changeling killed the Ensign on board rather than like at the Starbase and then replacing him. That was... That was quite different. So I'm curious to know what they looked like when they came aboard the ship. And interesting, the different uh, people that they were pretending to be. Uh, I was thoroughly intrigued when uh, Seven, you know, she talks to Riker and you don't hear anything. Like she just says one word and he, and then it cuts to Riker and he's like, got it. And then they've done. And then dramatic suddenly, effect. Yeah. Dramatic like effect. I was like, okay. All right. What was that? Well, hold, hold on yeah. a second. I want to, I want to mention that that scene was so important because you hear Riker say, are you guys okay doing this on your own? Mm -hmm. And so therefore it could be heard in the company. And so that was yeah. kind of crucial for the, for, you know, the, the uh, the changeling to go, okay, you know, then I got to figure out if I'm going to go down there, who could I go down as a believable person? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I really liked it. Uh, I loved, uh, I think the best part of this was the lead up to this with Picard and Seven going to Shaw's quarters and <laughs> love Picard using the words that Shaw said about himself just previously in the holodeck to his face. I thought that was great. Need a uh, grease monkey. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, calling him out on like, you know, uh, oh gosh, now what did he say? I just watched the episode. Um, not just the grease monkey, but like, you know, you're kind of, kind of a jerk. 
Yeah, the asshole thing. <laughs> yeah, the asshole thing. It was great. Um, and uh, so I loved this, you know, them working together. And I do think there is a smidgen of respect. Hopefully it continues. And again, you know, there's more to that discussion based off the ready room. So we'll kind of see what happens. But I like the the pairing. They work well together when Shaw's not being a douche. When uh, Shaw is showing the uh, the data pad picture of the jar, I love that we get a little Odo shout out there in the picture uh, as one of the changelings. Kyle, your thoughts on this scene? Are these scenes, this, this uh, story arc? Kevin, Haley, first of all, I, I owe you an apology. After all these years of podcasting, I realized we've gotten off on the wrong foot. You two are going to be phenomenal podcasters, taking everything internationally and taking over the podcast world. Is what you would say if you were a changeling. You're just a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I loved all of this. This was great. I love. I love the. I love the fact that they are building a little bit of. Okay, there's this line of starting to develop a little mutual respect for each other, but I still really don't like you. <laughs> so yeah, I think that works with seven with 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 seven and Shaw here, and obviously the great moment of. Seven baiting the changeling and that coming back around. Everything, everything again, it comes back to Shaw was phenomenal in this episode. Um, Jerry Ryan was great in this episode, so too as seven. And I really like too when she has a conversation with Riker. You know, I could reinstate you, but there's so much more you could get done if you weren't officially involved. And I I love the I love how everybody with seven just uses these undercurrents with her and just like it's always like this double speak or like yeah here's what I'm saying but here's what I really mean underneath it and it, I, I just think it makes seven so much more of an interesting character too. Well said. All right, guys, uh, let's get into uh, well we're gonna squeeze in one more topic here because it's kind of important. <laughs> the end scene with Jack. Is it a flashback? Is he getting a secret message? There's some weird organic stuff going on behind him. Uh, the the changeling goo looks like fleshy goo stuff now. What is the connection to the changelings, the dominion, whatever you want to say? What is going on? Why do they want him? He's mentioned by the, the goo hand changeling that we saw from Vatic. What's What is going on here? Why is he so important? Uh, did, did, uh, Beverly, you know, when she was with Picard, did, was there accidentally a three-way and they forgot about it? And one of them was a changeling. I don't know what's going on. Yes, I did say that. I'm sorry, but this is weird. This is scary. Kyle, you want to go first? Let's do this. Yeah. Cause I want to get in before the great Oracle speaks. <laughs> <laughs> because I do, I, I, I do have a theory. <laughs> what if somewhere along the line, and Beverly was out in space before she gave birth to Jack. She was captured. And what if Jack all along has been a changeling plant, some kind of experimental new kind of changeling to infiltrate wait, the wait, close wait, 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 wait. When you say changeling plant, do you mean impregnated plant? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, no, I don't know. So there's something with him. I think that could very easily be, He's related. There's some physical thing that he's related that's tied him into these changelings, and you you want there's something something there, there's something there. Of course, there was a lot of red too, so I was really worried they were going to mention a red angel, but luckily we avoided that. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but I, it feels like there's either something been implanted in Jack's mind or there's something that's physically there with Jack that is going to get revealed here. And I mean, I was, I was, I'm watching this scene where he's going through this and I half expected him to have that weird face kind of effect as he was having this. So I'm just saying Jack might have, there might be something in there where Jack's been experimented on a little changing DNA in there or something, something along those lines, or we can just go with, um, Kevin's internet uh, <laughs> option. Haley, science the F out of this. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, this is the hard part because I honestly, I don't know. Um, I do disagree with Kyle simply because, yes, the great link, the, the, the changelings that we're seeing are a faction of them that they still want the war. They want solids to no longer exist. <clears throat> but overall, the Great Link has never wanted to be solid. They don't want to live that way. Um, unless there has been some great change in their thinking and they want to be able to live like the solids but still be changelings. But uh, I figure if they could genetically create the um, fighters that they did and and create all of that with the, the Dominion Dar. War. Yeah, Jem'Hadar. Gem yes, Gem thank you. Um, if they could create those, you would think that they would be able to create a way that they could live more solid to be among the solids if they wanted to without needing a human or a baby, or whatever has happened, I think that there is something else that is potentially going on because, yes, we have this changeling faction that still wants solids to be gone. They want Starfleet to be gone. They want the Dominion War, whatever. I think there's that, but I think there is still somebody else behind that that is wanting something to happen. And that person, for whatever reason, um, we know that Jack went to Earth. He was away from Beverly for a period of time. We don't know what had happened in that time frame. I think something happened in that, um, somewhere in that time before he joined back with Beverly um, in, in doing all these missions. Something happened because in this flash of of whatever is going on, we hear, find me, find me. So there is one person, not a group of people, that is somehow done something. And so I think there's still like a larger person at play that is controlling this faction of of the changelings and is the master manipulator here. Because again, it didn't seem like that talking goo face that came from Vatic was a changeling. It seemed very much like something else. There is still someone larger at play here uh, that is the master puppeteer. Kyle, your Can thoughts? I, add, I just want to add one thing real quick. Look at how important Jack Crusher is. They were willing mm -hmm. to sacrifice, make Vatic sacrifice herself and this amazing huge warship in the Shrike to make sure they acquire Jack Crusher. Jack Crusher comes before anything. He is number one on the request board. He is he is number one priority. He is. We don't care what means we have to get him. We must get Jack Crusher. 
So there is some serious importance to Jack Crusher. Okay, so I was going back and forth on this, and it's kind of silly, but I just want to throw it out there. You know, when the original Dominion plan was to infiltrate the uh, um, you know Starfleet command, we got Leighton, you know, the Badmiral, but he was bad for a reason. He was a, a changeling. Uh, we got Martok changeling, changeling and a bunch of other key personnel that uh, were, you know, invasion of the body snatchers, so to speak. You sure. Know? And I'm I'm thinking I was thinking, OK, in the in the overall big game, if you're if you're wanting to take over and do serious damage to Starfleet, obviously you want to take over important people. Now, is Jack just a. Uh, uh, you know, a stone in the pond that you jump onto to get to the bigger prize, so to speak, you know, cause I'm just going to throw a little Shatner verse out there. Remember in the Shatner verse novels, when uh, Shatner died at the end of generations, it was a uh, uneasy alliance of the Borg and the Romulans to resurrect his body using Borg technology because they wanted Shatner's importance and knowledge and strategic mind to use against the Federation and destroy it. I don't know if that's the big picture, but I'm beginning to think maybe it's a little more single-minded where, as you were kind of alluding to, Kyle, maybe there's a personal reason here. Maybe it's just one person with a big vendetta as opposed to this overall the Dominion is definitely trying to take over the universe again or something like that. So uh, it's interesting to see what's going to happen with that. I'm really excited. That was a great little thing to kind of end the episode on because it seems like now they're kind of in a safe space as they're heading back to kind of regroup and uh you know then meet up with some maybe new friends next episode and uh kind of see what's going on with this whole dominion thing the important thing is going to see what happens with um with wharf and raffi and starfleet intelligence so yeah all right guys we're going to go ahead and take a little break here and uh when we come back we're going to have the next uh, next mission. So we'll be right back. Let you know what else is happening on the Fandom Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast, we cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show, our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU podcast discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. The Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
you can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. All right, welcome back to the Union Federation Podcast, where we discuss both Star Trek and the Orville here on the Fandom Podcast Network. And this episode, we are discussing Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 4, No Win Scenario. And next, we've got um, our away mission, and we've got some fun stuff for you there. Well, we got us some Star Trek trivia and Easter eggs. If you guys got some that you picked out, feel free to share it afterwards. Uh, Let's start with, and I'm glad they explained this, guys. While on the holodeck, Picard mentions that the holodeck was still functioning despite the Titan's power levels being dangerously low because it runs on its own independent power system. This fact was first established in season one of Voyager when the ship is first stranded in the Delta Quadrant and the crew looks into different methods of augmenting the ship's energy. In Star Trek Voyager, the Cloud, 1995, Harry Kim experiments with tapping into the holodeck power grid, but each time he does, it blows out an EPS grid. Both Harry and Torres come to the conclusion that the type of energy used by holodecks is incompatible with the rest of the starship's power grid. Now, I also figure, too, guys, if you're going to have a holodeck always working, it also exi- it, it can also be a substitute for not having that ship's counselor when everyone's in distress, so you just go drink in the bar in the holodeck. <laughs> thought that was a uh, well, nice little throwback here. I like that, but I'm glad it was explained as well. And as we mentioned before, the uh, picture of Odo appears on the tablet providing information about changeling buckets. Uh, and uh, Picard tells the cadets about the events of Star Trek The Next Generation, Darmok, 1991, where Picard encounters a race who call themselves the Children of Tamar. They communicated by speaking entirely in metaphor. One of my favorite episodes, Paul Wingfield was the guest in that. Shaka When the Walls Fell, that was a great shout out there. That was awesome. The knife used by Vedic is almost exactly the same design and shape as the one that was used by Shinzon in Star Trek Nemesis. You know, I was wondering if that knife looked familiar, guys. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Getting kind of creeped out that she was cutting off her own hand and turning into a goo monster. So, <laughs> uh, At approximately 10 minutes uh, in, when Seven is searching for the changeling, a Vulcan strategy game, Kaltal, can be seen on the desk. This was frequently played by Tuvok, Harry Ken, Ichib, and Seven once during the seven-year run of Star Trek Voyager 1995. Uh, Easter egg at 22 minutes, a Daystrom Institute billboard sign races by the villain's spaceship. Did you guys notice this? Uh, Haley? Uh, I saw that, but I thought that was somehow tied because at that moment they were ejecting the... um, portal technology and the portal Mm. technology they went and then that thing flew out i figured that was the portal technology device oh okay because that's and that's why it said the daystrom institute because that's where it came from so interesting okay at the restaurant where admiral picard was having a meal and fielding questions from the cadets a round sticker with a red left hand was plastered onto the painting frame of the wall this sticker denotes the left hand brewing a Colorado microbrewery founded in 1993. This brewery gained the fame of the uh, gained fame for the cheap 
word of mouth advertising by plastering the stickers all over Denver metropolitan area, then eventually United States and beyond. Did not know that. Pretty cool. Captain Shaw is revealed to be a survivor of the Battle of Wolf Five. Uh, 359 from Star Trek Next Generation, The Best of Both Worlds, Part 2, which explains his hostile attitude towards Picard. Very similar to how Benjamin Sisko, whose wife was killed at Wolf 359, behaved towards Picard when he meets him face-to-face for the first time in Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode Emissary in 1993. And the method the Titan uses the energy wave from the life form to surf out the nebula is similar to the method the Enterprise D used to escape from the subspace rift in Star Trek Next Generation Force of Nature episode 1993. Voyager also uses a similar method to escape from a wormhole. They are forced to collapse the wormhole while inside it and use their shields to surf the shockwave out of the wormhole in Star Trek Voyager episode night 1998. And approximately at 45 minutes in, the alarm sounds when all power from life support is transferred to the thrusters. This alarm is also used in the film Alien 1979 when the self-destruct is activated. Uh, back to uh, the life form uh, shout out. Every time I hear Star Trek say life form, I always think of when Data says life forms, searching for life forms. Tiny little <laughs> life forms. <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, any comments on the trivia or any trivia that jumped out at you guys? I think you did a phenomenal job covering the review. All right, guys. Well, let's get into the next part and let's get into some ready room discussion. All right. A lot of good stuff from comes from the ready room, guys. If you haven't watched it, don't worry about it. We're about to spoil the crap of it for you right now. But highly recommend it. Uh, I've been actually watching it now uh, after I watched the episode on Paramount Plus, because if you scroll down a little bit, there's the episode that pops up for you. Otherwise, you can search for it on YouTube and watch it there as well. And, you know, host Will Wheaton is fantastic in this. And this week, his special guest is, of course, Todd Stashwick, lifelong love of Star Trek. And this was a lot of fun. Uh, Todd Stashwick, Captain Shaw joins Will Wheaton in the Raider Room to talk about his lifetime of Star Trek fandom and returning to the franchise to play the USS Titans commanding officer, Liam Shaw. Plus, delve into the history of the Changelings, learn the science facts behind the science fiction in this week's episode of No Wind Scenario, and much more. Uh, and I just want to give a shout-out to the Changeling uh, section. It was great to get a little history of the Changelings and what had happened and uh, do you remember who does the voiceover, this lovely lady that does the voiceover for the, this part of it? Mm-hmm. I don't know who she is, but she's awesome. Um, I always like it when they do these on the ready room because they really do a thorough job covering things. And I think this is one of the best ones they did. And I mm-hmm. think it's fitting because a lot of people really maybe aren't that, that are new to Trek, aren't familiar with the changelings other than yeah. maybe if they yeah. watched, Oh, it's a little bit of DS time with Odo or something like that. So I think it, it was really good to have this one in particular because we're at the point where there's a whole new generation of Trek learning about this stuff. And I think it's great that they, they do that. What I'm curious about is when they were showing all most of the deep space nine flashbacks, uh, they did shoot back to an episode of uh, discovery of a changeling, but all, you know, when changelings start doing their changing and metamorphing, they're always that same goldish color, like the great link was. So, with all of the changes in member, they, they almost killed all of the great link with that virus. And then, you know, uh, the antidote was made. 
Does that mean the Great Link's like a big pile of pinkish, bluey, Ugh. gooey stuff now? I don't know because of the way and they look. Kevin, we'll just call it the primordial ooze and leave it at that. <laughs> I don't even want to. I don't want to go there because it's. Just, I know. Yeah. Anyway, do we have to pour? Do we have to pour chlorine into the Great Link every once in a while? Is that what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give a shout out though here. Uh, Todd Stashik was a great interview and they showed a brief uh, um, clip when he was on uh, uh, Enterprise as a Romulan pretending to be a Vulcan. It was a Vulcan pretending to be Romulan. I think it was he Romulan. Was Romulan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I love that he is a self-proclaimed nerd boy. Uh, the experience of being on Star Trek has not is not lost on him, and some funny stuff about you know sitting in the captain's chair, uh, and uh, he he thought his 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 entertainment was going to go in a different direction. He he grew up on Second City comedy troupe, um, and thought he was going to kind of go that way, maybe even be on Saturday Night Live. But he found his way in dramatic roles and in some villain roles as well. And I got to tell you guys, I am loving every minute of Todd Stashwick as this captain. He is fantastic. Uh, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on that interview with him. And Haley, start with you. Yeah, I I really enjoyed this. Uh, it was really nice to kind of see, um, you know, his fandom because so much of the newer shows, everyone that they've been getting on, if it's not someone who's already been in universe, it is an actor who has grown up watching it. And um, I loved his comment of, you know, being able to make the things that he consumes. And so he still actively watches Star Trek. And I really liked that. I thought that was fantastic. And I love seeing that so many of these actors now, they're like, oh yeah, I was a fan. I grew up watching Star Trek. And now I get to be in it. And I loved how anytime Will has someone on who is new to being able to play in Star Trek, but grew up watching it like Ed's, when he was talking with Ed, he always asked him like, what is that like for you? Because, you know, is the child you who grew up watching it freaking out? And and then how do you get to, you know, pretend like you're okay with being okay on these sets and stuff? And I love that a lot of them have always been like, oh, yeah, I just kind of like tamper that. I, I tamper my little child down and, you know, bring my A game like Ed, Ed Spillers was talking about. But he was definitely like, yeah, 10-year-old me is like, oh. <laughs> you know, because I mean, if any of us even got to be like an extra who didn't even have any lines on set, we'd all be like, <laughs> you know, uh, we would not keep our crap together at all. Um, and so I really love that. And I love that he also very much understands and respects that he is now also a custodian um, of Star Trek and carrying on this tradition and and really appreciates getting to be this part of something that he still actively consumes. I love it. Uh, Haley, real quick, because you might know this more than I do. I'm just speculating here, but he was a surprise guest on the Star Trek cruise. And maybe this will be a better question uh, when we get Amy uh, later on. Uh, I, I was just wondering how he was, you know, how they responded to him on in the Star Trek cruise, because I think that was his first public appearance at an official Trek event mm -hmm. um I, the few people i think this is definitely a good question for amy the few friends that i have that went said that they were really excited to have him on board so i think despite his character's uh 
you know, rudeness and crassness. I think he himself, I think, received a probably a large and very warm welcome uh, just because I think Star Trek fans typically, for the most part, there are those ones that are like, but as a collective whole, we are generally so excited when we get to have new characters on and we get, we really do embrace these actors when they get to join this franchise that we love. Even if we have a love hate relationship with the character they play, they are still warmly embraced just as much as the characters that we have loved all along. Yeah. Good point. Kyle, your thoughts on uh, the interview with Ted Stashwick. I just please somebody (laughs) get somebody who will respect my chair. (laughs) (laughs) Todd Todd seemed when he was talking, he seemed a little uh, attached to it. And, you know, because I remember there was a conversation between him and Will and there's the people that asked to sit on the chair, and then there's the people that just sit on it. <laughs> yeah, but, but 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 what do you do when you walk in and it's John Luke Picard sitting in the chair? I know, right? Like, yeah. it's so <laughs> you had your chair. Get out of my chair. It's so spinny. I don't want to get out. Um, no, this is a great interview. Um, Todd is absolutely hilarious, and I would love to have seen some of his Second City days because I bet you they were great. And, and the fact that he has so much love for Trek and, he, you know, he's fighting his inner fanboy and just to have this amazing part of this. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, this the way people are reacting to him in a way almost feels a little bit like how people were reacting initially to Anson Mount as Captain Pike, where they're just falling in love with this with this character and how he's being portrayed. I can't see how we don't get something moving forward after Picard is done somewhere down the line where we get this character in his own show or a Titan show or something like that. Interesting. You say that Kyle, because I've heard terms of like, this is the captain we've always needed or always wanted just because of how, you know, he talks like us, you know, there was a, a past conversation I remember having here on union fed where what we like about the Orville is that in certain scenarios, that's how we as fans would react where on Star Trek, the next generation, they have to be more kind of not uptight, but more Starfleet and officially because, you know, they're so they're supposed to be in the future. They're so far removed. There's a certain etiquette. But with Orville, they're acting like we are nowadays. And I'm, I'm getting that frank delivery from Todd as this Captain Shaw. And I'm loving it so much. He's getting these great lines and the way he reacts to certain moments and, and, and lines, I just, I, I love it. I, I need to see more Shaw. I need to see what happens after the show ends. Hopefully they don't kill him off. Oh my God. Fingers crossed. We'll see about that. Uh, Haley. Yes. Well, I think that, you know, he has brought uh, his uh, Chicago attitude to his character, but also remember he was an engineer. So his character originally was an engineer. He was never probably, he wasn't in command track to become a captain. So it would be interesting to see kind of what led him down that path, you know, post Wolf 359 to where he is now former engineer sitting in a captain's chair. So he's very much a, not lower decker, but like, 
you know, he, he came up in the ranks. It's very much, um, you know, you look at our military today, you have the people who go to college and then they just become officers, right, in the military. They don't rise up through the ranks to to get there. And then you have the people who have kind of come up in rank and maybe get higher rank, but they started out at the bottom. And very different personalities. I've had interactions with both types uh, in my past life. So um, depending on, you know, kind of where you're at, I think that really lends to kind of how you carry yourself when you do get to that type of rank. So I think that's part of it as well. Good point. Good point. All right. I need to talk about this other segment <laughs> that is fantastic. And when I was watching this, I was going, oh, my God, Haley must be squee, squee, squee. <laughs> if she's not, I'm squeeing for her. And that is the science of this episode. And uh, this particular segment uh, was, what do they call it? The science of episode four. And this was the uh, interview that they had with Dr. Aaron McDonald, guest stars, Star Trek science advisor from Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, that's her uh, picture there on the right in the episode of Prodigy. Dr. Aaron McDonald helping the series creators separate the facts from the fiction in the final frontier. Uh, she's obviously a Star Trek fan herself. She's become a celebrity. She's been, I'm sure, at panels and stuff like that. When I was doing a, a search, she's been at many functions. And there's a great interview with her uh, on this segment of The Ready Room. And I just want to mention a couple of things. Beverly, the science doctor, I, I want you to talk about this as well, uh, Haley, because one of the things I've loved about Beverly's Crusher uh, was that not only is she a fantastic physician, but she's got this degree in science that's fantastic. And it always seems to come up and it helps with her stuff that she's working on. And that, that one, one of my favorite Beverly episodes when she's trying to figure out who killed the Ferengi doctor from the metaphasic shielding and she's using science as well. And all these other scientists were coming in. And I love the fact that we're getting that crusher uh, as well in this uh, um, season three. And that, uh, you know, when she talks to, when she's talking to, when, when they're trying to convince uh, uh, the plan to go with this wave thing, uh, with Riker and space babies, Riker says, Beverly says the nebula is a womb and we are swiping, excuse me, we are in its amniotic fluid. Now we're encountered uh, and we've encountered species before life forms that thrive in the vacuum of space. And the Picard goes far point. <laughs> and Beverly goes exactly. So I want to get your thoughts on the science of this episode and science doctor Beverly Crusher. So I'll start off with Dr. Crusher. Um, I have always appreciated her character. Uh, she has been my second favorite, actually, from TNG. And that's simply because, yes, I mean, it makes sense. If you are out in space and you're on one of the flagships of Starfleet, it makes sense that you would not just want to be educated in your field, but have a secondary one. I mean, how many people get double masters or they get, you know, their master's degree and then they have a secondary degree in, you know, something maybe even completely different field than what is their main field of choice. And 
not only does that help us be more well-rounded human beings, but if something happens and you can't do your primary degree or your field of study, you have a second one to fall back on. And how pertinent it was for Dr. Crusher to be a scientist, to be interested in things and and use those uh, skills when needed. Because despite the fact that the Enterprise-D is a giant ship, the luxury ship in space, in Starfleet, as we all love to call it, we never really, outside of like the some of the astrophysicists in the astrometrics lab, we never actually really see anybody else besides that and some botanists. There really were probably way more people. So because we only had so many people that they could show, it seems fitting that Dr. Crusher would be the one to also be kind of the head scientist. Bashir kind of has this a little bit in his role on Deep Space Nine. So, I mean, I think it kind of fits. Um, And I've always appreciated that she's always been interested in other things and not only uses those to help her in her medical field, but then she uses her medical field to help with her science. And I think it makes sense just simply from a standpoint of being interested in things. Like if if you're interested in something, go for it and utilize those skills and those talents because you never know when it's going to come in handy. Um, Not just the dancing doctor. <laughs> no, yes, exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, I, I think about my field and, and how often I use my degree in ways that I wouldn't have thought I've used. And some of my trainings I, I use just in normal everyday life. And so, I mean, it's it's really lovely to be well-rounded. And I think that that's just something that's wonderful. As far as the science of this episode goes, it, it is interesting because we look at this nebula. Every nebula is different in space. And there are uh, bodies in space, there are anomalies in space. Some have more gravity than others. Um, I mean, we look at our own planets and our in our solar system, each one has different gravity. And so it, it's understandable that, hey, this this one has a different gravity well, as uh, Dr. Aaron McDonald was talking about, than something else. Here on Earth, there are places where our gravity is more dense than others. And so it is it is something that is quite interesting to think about. I think a lot of people probably don't think about uh, gravity being different. Um, And so if you're interested in that, I I highly suggest looking into it because there are different gravities and everything has a different gravity. So everything has gravity, even space, even though it seems like a lot of our television shows and things like that tell us there is no gravity in space. There really is. So um, I like that uh, uh, Aaron was talking about... um, using real science uh, in combination with the science of Star Trek and keeping true to that. I think that is something that is really, really wonderful because starting with the original series, you know, (laughs) looking back on that, there's so much that you're just like, yeah, that's not really real, but okay. Um, And as the shows progressed, they got better at inserting actual science into it, but still keeping that fantastical science 
from the original series. And I really appreciate that because there are still things that you're like, oh, if that were real, that would be so cool. That would be so awesome. Uh, <laughs> if we could really have these ships in space that would create this warp bubble that we could travel to different planets and get there you know, and not be aged, uh, and it not be like generations and our, our great, great grandkids are actually the ones that get there because we're just going to die before we do. Like there's so much that would be really wonderful. If we actually could make it happen. And then there is the actual science, uh, in, in some of this. And I really do appreciate this. Um, I do have to give a shout out. She talked about extremophiles, uh, given that this nebula is alive and it did save the ship. You're welcome. And space babies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we get space babies. We get space jellyfish again, essentially. So I love this, yeah. this callback to Farpoint, uh, encounter at Farpoint episodes. Um, but also extremophiles and, and this notion of, okay, we want to use science to create different uh, life forms that our crew and our ships could encounter that could exist while also using something that is real. So I live near Yellowstone. Extremophiles are a thing. They are all over in Yellowstone. If you have gone to Yellowstone, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, it is really quite interesting. So all of the um, geysers and the pools, everything there, despite the extreme temperatures and also the extreme acidity to all of these things, the reason that they have their colors and the reason that they have the way they look is because of extremophiles. And they are a living bacterial kind of organism and they're alive. And there's uh, spots all over up there that says, please stay on the boardwalks. Please don't step on. Because I think people don't realize that that's a living thing. Mm. And it is really quite interesting um, that we have these things that can live in conditions that we would not think life of pos being possible. Um, and there is. And so having life stem from a nebula, not just stars and whatnot is really quite interesting to think about. That's fascinating. Uh, and another reason to go to Yellowstone to see, and see extremophiles, I had no idea. I just thought Yellowstone was like a bunch of moody cowboys just wondering about a land war that's going to be coming soon. So it's nice to know that. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, that is so cool, Haley. I appreciate you getting all sciencey on us on that because I, I I knew that you were going to have something to say about that. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, Kyle, any other thoughts on before we uh, close out with the tease of to next week? Was there anything else uh, regarding the ready room you want to give a shout out to? So much science education brain hurts. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, phenomenal job, Haley. Um, I just want to give some, Kevin, I know you'll appreciate this. I got to give some love to Trek for making sure, in whether it's on the show or in real life, the redheads get the proper respect they deserve as master scientists. <laughs> um, but no, just some great points by Haley. Um, I love it when they when Star Trek does this and says, and they try they always try to make sure that they, what they're doing, even though it's science fiction, it's still grounded in the science. And yeah, that, that I think is so important. And especially because we have ultra science officer Haley Stoddard with us to really go into the details and especially <laughs> with my tax out of the brain right now. So I really do appreciate that. Um, I think this has been the best season of the ready room. 
guys. I, I, I really think this has been the most complimentary. And I, I, maybe it's because it is Will and his connections to TNG and everything like that. But there's just this, this, I just feel like we're getting so much more out of this season of the ready room and so much more behind the scenes than we've gotten from any season of the ready room room. And I think Will's doing the best job he's done yet with it. So I just want to give a shout out there because I'm really looking forward to next week to have Michael Dorn and we've got the Worf and Raffi interviews going on. So I'm, I'm really excited for that because I, I would love, I've never really seen Will Wheaton bounce off of Michael Dorn too much. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that, that relationship in that, setting goes well said yeah uh what we're gonna get right into that but yes uh, the next week's guests are michelle or michelle hurd who plays raffi and michael dorn who plays Worf. so uh let's go ahead and uh, let's check into that orb of prophecy of what's coming up next all right guys as mentioned we got a nice little scene coming uh next week a little tease into uh Worf and Raffi working out together, doing some Klingon calisthenics or yoga, whatever you want to call it. Little uh, little sword play, and then it uh, looks like that they uh, get a message from Starfleet intelligence. So, uh, any idea what you guys think is going to happen next? Uh, any predictions? It's called Imposter. Uh, I have a question. I have a question for the Oracle. <laughs> who that? Who is it? Who in the heck would be Worf's handler? Come on now. Because <laughs> I, I, I can't, only one name springs to mind to me, but I don't know if they'd go there. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm curious. Who who do you think it could be? Dax? Hmm. But what that, form? I mean, it definitely wouldn't be Esri. Yeah, well, who knows what form Dax is in at this point? But yeah. You, yeah. You, you know, who, who's, who's probably going to know how to push Worf's buttons more than Dax? Julian Bashir? I don't know. I mean, he, he didn't, he didn't Julian have the first interaction with section 31 as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. I, that, would, multiple, that would be really cool interactions with them. Yeah. Or is this going to be the time they want to bring in Brent Spiner or, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's been teased, but I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I'm excited. I can't wait. <laughs> mm, I have a, insanely out of the box uh possibility it could be troy you think <laughs> i don't know how right or that. <laughs> given given that it's imposter it could be that he thinks he's getting a message from his handler and it turns out to be whatever Gooface actually is from this episode from <laughs> Gooface. <laughs> i love that Gooface. I got nothing else to call it, okay. so we'll call right. it that. Um, it could be that because, I mean, that to me seems like that person, whoever was talking to Vatic and saying you have to go after them uh, at risk to yourself because nothing is more important is the person who's kind of the puppet master in all of this and is the person who's ultimately wanting things. So it could be that Worf is thinking he is working for something positive when in reality, maybe he's not. And he just doesn't know it because again, they've, he has mentioned and Rafi has mentioned, there is something bigger going on. This whole Daystrom theft was a ruse and 
Beverly says, don't trust anyone, not even Starfleet. So, I mean, if we want to look at it, I don't think it's necessarily going to be anybody that we are really expecting it to be. But it could be that Vatic was also being played by this person who is playing Worf. Mm. We will see. Ah, Excited. Excited. All right, guys, let's go ahead and let's get into some hailing frequencies. We hope that you've been enjoying Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 4, No Win Scenario. All right, guys, you can find the Fandom Podcast Network on these subspace channels. First of all, YouTube, if you're watching this, thank you so much. Give us a like, give us a share. We appreciate it. If you're listening to this, make sure you check out the video version on YouTube and do the same. We appreciate that. Our master feed for all of our audio podcasts can be found on Podbean and fpnet.podbean.com. And uh, make sure you also check us out on all of your major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Appreciate some reviews there. You can join us on Twitter and Instagram at UnionFedPodcast. You can email us at theunionfederation at gmail.com. Also, please check out our Union Federation Facebook group where we are uh, sharing and discussing all things the Orville and Star Trek. My name is Kevin. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Spartan underscore Phoenix. Kyle, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me all over the Fandom Podcast Network as well as on Twitter at AKyleW and on Instagram at AKyleFandom. And I say it's time we boldly get out of this podcast. <laughs> uh, Haley, uh, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Trekkie01D. Awesome. And, of course, you can find uh, Amy on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. And please check out the BQN. There's some awesome shows over there. And uh, also, please, uh, you know, check out their Facebook group as well, the BQN Collective. Um, Guys, uh, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it as well. Looking forward to next week. And uh, as, uh, as Riker said, Kyle, you stole my thunder. I think we should boldly get the hell out of here. But I'd also like to uh, recite that wonderful line that uh, Picard says, you're only ever really as good as those around you. Your crew becomes part of you, complete you. They lift you up to accomplish the things you could never do alone. Goodbye, everyone. And until next week, hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies.